but Matthew chapter 5, and uh, I'm going to read the whole uh, scope of the Beatitudes. So that's verses 2 through 12, and so if you'd like to stand, you can stand, uh, and I'll read our text, and then we'll pray, and then we'll begin. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Father, we need meekness to even receive uh, your word this morning. God, your, your truth tells us that we should receive the implanted word with meekness, that we should become doers of the word. And Father, we pray for your Holy Spirit's power to Soften our hearts to embrace and to believe that you are everything that the Bible says you are and that you will do everything the Bible says you will do. God, I pray particularly for those who are anxious today, those who are bound up in uh, worry and stress. God, I pray for those that are uh, angry, angry maybe because of how they've been treated or how they've been hurt. God, I pray for those that are uh, prideful, God, I pray that you would just break all of that down and God replace all of that with meekness this morning. God, we ask that you would work in us in Jesus' name. Amen. I was walking through a Jewish community uh, not long ago and I was praying for uh, the people that lived there. And one of the things that struck me as I walked through that community was just to Uh, realize that these are the people that the Old Testament was written through and for, that these are the people that Genesis through Malachi and really the whole Bible was directed at and and all the, the Old Testament pointing toward the Messiah, Jesus. And then it just broke my heart to think, man, they, they missed it. They, they missed the Messiah. You know, how, how can, you, how can you have Isaiah 53 that talks about the suffering servant being wounded for our transgressions and, and crushed for our iniquities and not see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that? How can you have the passages about the sacrificial lamb and, and the, the covenant and, and not see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that? And as I read this morning's text, I thought, well, man, it, it's kind of easy to see how, how the Jews missed the Messiah because they were not at all expecting a meek Messiah. You know, the Jews were expecting the Messiah to come, and, and they were expecting him to come with a sword and an iron rod, and they were expecting him to, to break the, the back of Rome and to throw off the tyranny of, of those who oppressed Israel. And The Jews were expecting a Messiah that would shed blood, that would shed Roman blood and Greek blood and that would throw off all the enemies of Israel. But they, were, they could not fathom a Messiah whose own blood would be spilt sacrificially for his enemies. 
And so Jesus comes, steps on the scene in Matthew chapter 5, preaching the most famous sermon uh, that he preached. And he, and he starts saying things like, you know, if anybody strikes you on the right cheek, we'll turn to him the other also. And, and he starts saying things like, um, if someone demands that you go one mile, if they put some unreasonable demand on you, go ahead and go that mile and then go another mile as well. Go the extra mile. And he, he starts saying things like, I know you've heard it, love your enemy, but I'm, or love your, your neighbor, but I'm telling you that you ought to love your enemy and that you ought to pray for those who persecute you. And, and they could not fathom a Messiah who would talk that way. I was reading the, uh, the narratives of Jesus' um, crucifixion uh, this week with some guys at McDonald's, and we were in Luke chapter 23. And one of the things that stuck out to me is <coughs> in like four verses, there are three different groups that say the same thing to Jesus who's hanging on the cross. And in verse 35, the rulers mocked Jesus, and they said to Jesus on the cross, they said, he saved others, let him save himself if he's the Christ. And then in verse 37, the soldiers addressed Jesus to, on, on the cross, and they said, if you're the king of the Jews, then save yourself. And in verse 39, one of the criminals addressed Jesus on the cross and said, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And so in other words, three different groups of people address Jesus from the cross, and all three of them say the same thing. They say, if you're really the Messiah, if you're really the Christ, if you're really the Son of God, then you'll save yourself. You'll get yourselves down from the cross. You see, they, they had no capacity in their mind for a Messiah who was meek. Well, I would say the same thing about people today. You know, the, the Beatitudes are all about flourishing. They're all about a life that is joyful, a life that is happy. In, in the Beatitudes, you have blessed are these people, blessed are these people, blessed are these people. You have, you have all about what it means to truly live a life of happy, joyful, flourishing and in the middle of that, you got 7.5 billion people on the planet who are all looking for happiness, and hardly any of them are looking, at, looking for it in this way. Because Jesus says, blessed are the meek. In other words, meekness is the path to happiness. Now, the word meek means gentle, mild, considerate, humble, uh, one, of, one of the most famous ways that it's used by commentators is uh, a lot of people point out that in Jesus' day, they, they would use this word meek to describe a wild pony who had been captured and who had been broke. Now, now you all know that when you break a horse, you, you don't actually steal his power. He, he, he doesn't become less powerful. He doesn't become less, uh, less strong. It's that all of his power and strength is now harnessed under the control of his master. And so meekness in a very real way is power under control. And so, so let, let's think about this. I, 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 let's start off this way. You are not meek if, okay? So, so if you find yourself in these categories, then, then you need to be begin praying. God, help me. Help me, God, because I, I see that I am not meek, okay? You are not meek if your anxiety is out of control. 
So if, if you find yourself being thrashed about on the rocks of life by your stress and your worry and your fretting, if you find yourself laying down at night and you're just all tore up on the inside about what if this and what if that and I can't sleep and I, my, my joy is gone and my, my peace is gone because of all these things in my life that I'm just stressing about, that is not meekness. Folks, you are not meek when your anger is out of control. When you're consumed by what's been done to you, when, when, when in your mind a whole lot of your thought process is taken up by what you've lost at the hands of others, and if you're eaten up with this bitter vengeance, wanting people to pay for the treatment that they've inflicted upon you or your family, that is not meek. You're not meek. You're not meek if your pride is out of control. If you find yourself in a room full of people, maybe your family, maybe your coworkers, maybe your small group, and you find yourself thinking, I can't believe that everybody in here is an idiot but me. And I can't believe how, how I've got it figured out and how these folks just continually miss it. If you find yourself thinking that, chances are you are not meek. You're not meek. Because meekness is not out of control. It is not frantic or frenzied or panicked or anxious or angry or opinionated or bullheaded or despairing. Rather, meekness is a person under God's control. They are under God's umbrella. They are submitted to and governed by God. And they, the result of that is they are resting in God's care. That's, that's why Jesus said, blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. They get it all. They're resting in the care of God, and as a result, they get it all. So meekness is not at all weakness. And the greatest example of that is Jesus, all right? So in Jesus, what you have is infinite power, okay? True? Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. In other words, Jesus Christ created everything that exists was spoken into existence by Jesus, and everything that continues to exist is sustained by Jesus' word. We sang a song uh, earlier this morning that said basically, when you speak, a billion creatures take their breath. And I like the way that that's framed, framed. Basically, every time somebody takes a breath, it's given to them by Jesus, all right? So you have a being here of infinite power. You have a being who will indeed judge the nations. In, in Revelation chapter 19, we see the picture of Jesus on, on a white horse commanding the armies of heaven. And it says, And the armies of, uh, uh, of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he'll rule them with a rod of iron. He'll tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now that is not a weak being. But yet, look at how he lived. In 1 Peter 2, we have a passage that should serve as an example for us. Now the reason I know it should be an example for us is because 1 Peter 2 says this should be an example for you, okay? So are you ready? Here we go, 221. For to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. 
so that you might follow in his steps. All right, so this is a passage that's saying you need to do what Jesus did here. Okay, so watch what he did and you do it too. All right, verse 22, 22. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled. Did you get reviled this week? Did anybody curse you this week? Did anybody cuss you out? Did anybody uh, attack you and slander your character? That's what it means to revile, okay? When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Okay, here's your example. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Okay, but this beautiful phrase, ready? But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. All right, do, do you see that? What did Jesus do? When, here's, here's a being of infinite power. In other words, Jesus has the power to settle all debts immediately. All right? Somebody hurts him, he has the infinite, glorious cap- capability of just settling that immediately. All right? But instead of doing that, it says he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He put himself under the Father's care. That's meekness, all right? That's what it means to be meek. That, that, that's what it means when Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Absolutely no lack of power, no lack of strength or ability. There is this glorious submitting to the care of his Father, all right? Now, in order to understand meekness, what we need to do is go to Psalm 37. So uh, this is not one of those deals where I'm like referencing one verse. I'm actually going to unpack Psalm 37. So I'd like for you to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles because I I want you to see this, okay? So so the reason Psalm 37 is so important when we talk about meekness is because I think Jesus is quoting it, all right? Now, why do I think Jesus is quoting it? Well, look at verse 11. It says, but the meek shall inherit the land, all right? Does that sound anything at all like, but the meek shall inherit the earth, okay? It, it does, doesn't it, all right? So Psalm 37, 11 says, the meek shall inherit the land. And actually, as, as you, as you, if you read the whole chapter, which we're not going to, but if you read all of chapter 37, like four times, it gives a characteristic of meekness, and then it says, they're gonna inherit the land. In other words, like, wait on the Lord, for they shall inherit the land, you know? Uh, but the meek shall inherit the land. All right, so, so it says that over and over again. So I believe that Psalm 37 is a great commentary on exactly what does it look like to be meek all right so let's start out in verse one okay so verse one starts out in psalm 37 and it says fret not yourself because of evildoers or be envious of wrongdoers all right so it says whenever you encounter people who do you wrong whenever you encounter people who are evil against you don't fret word fret's a really cool word it basically means to burn okay to burn it When people harm you, when people say things about you, when people slander and malign you, have you ever noticed that you actually get a a hotness in, in your in your chest, right? In your gut. You, you know, I mean there's a feeling there, isn't there? There's there's a stirring, there's a there's there's a an anger, a seething that actually is, is, I mean it's a beautiful word. Fret meaning don't burn on the inside. All right? So you're not being you're not being meek when you are burning and boiling on the inside. Rather, look at verse 5, okay? I know we skipped some good stuff, but we, we got to just go through here quick. Verse 5 is a great, just summarizing verse of what it means to be meek. Number one, instead of fretting, instead of burning on the inside, you need to commit your way to the Lord. Now, the word commit, we, we've talked about this before. We, we looked at Psalm 37 about a year ago. The word commit means roll. You remember this? 
roll away. That's exactly, if you look it up in the, in the Hebrew dictionary, the word commit means roll away. So in other words, commit yourself to the Lord means, all right, you, you've had this hard thing, you've had this slander, you've had this difficult injustice done to you. No, you know what you need to do? You know what you're prone to do, right? You burn on the inside and you, you get to work, right? Taking your vengeance, slandering, getting even, fretting over it, being anxious, boiling on the inside. No, 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 no. Instead of doing that, you roll it away. You roll it to the Lord, okay? Commit your way to the Lord. So, so you roll that to the Lord. And the reason you do, look at verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Next phrase, trust in Him. Trust in Him. You see, meekness is all about seeing the bigness of God. You, you, you won't be meek unless you see that God can be trusted, that, that God is absolutely capable and willing to do everything he said he would do. All right? So you can trust him. I mean, here's the bad news. Whenever you take your own vengeance, whenever, you know, relationally, you know, your spouse says something in a, tired weak moment and it hurts your feelings and you're like okay it's on you know I'm giving the silent treatment I'm, I'm withholding my affection you know uh, you're gonna get nothing but ice cubes and coal from me you know and then finally I'm gonna do that for a couple days and then I'm gonna blow on you all right here's the reality you don't trust him you're saying oh no 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 I agree with the Bible I believe the Bible well, you might agree with the Bible, but you don't trust him. See, in order to commit your way to the Lord, are you still looking at verse 5? Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. you got to trust him. When, when you take it in your own hands, you might as well just admit, I am not trusting God. Whenever you're fuming and boiling on the inside, let's just be honest. You don't, you don't think he'll take care of it. You're like, oh, no, I do, I do. I agree with the Bible. It's just, it's just what? It's just they're so, and they did. And essentially, you, if you do roll it, what you do is you roll it to God, and then right as he's picking it up, you take it back, you know? It's like, it's like the game you play, and Colt and I sit on the driveway, and we, we, you know, we roll the ball. And he's like, okay, God, now give it back so I can go hammer him, you know? So I can take this vengeance. No, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. And then notice that next phrase. Oh, I, got that, I got that underlined in my Bible. I think it's three very important words. He will act. You see, that's what a meek person believes that a not meek person really doesn't believe. He will act. He'll do it. He'll take care of it. I can roll this to him and he'll act. I don't have to act by stressing and worrying and fretting. I don't have to act in my angry tirade, lamenting all my injustices. I don't have to act in plotting my vengeance. I don't have to because I believe God will act. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. All right. I know, I know what your next statement is. Okay, Pastor, but give me some, like, Besides Jesus, right? Because we're always like, well, that's the way Jesus acted. Well, yeah, but he was Jesus. Give me some other people that acted that way. Okay, I'm glad you asked, right? There's three really cool ones in the Bible, all right? So the first one is Abraham. I'm just going to summarize this story, and then we'll, we'll go ahead and look at the other two more thoroughly. But Abraham, remember Abraham, the guy that was given the promises of God, the guy who God appeared to and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and, and, and you're, I'm going to make you a mighty nation, and, and, and your descendants are going to be as many as the stars of the heaven and the sand of the sea, and in you 
All the flamemates of the earth are going to be blessed. I'm going to send the Messiah through you, Abraham. And Abraham believes God and has counted him as righteousness. And he takes off. He takes off for the land that he's never seen before. And he's got a little tag along. His name's Lot, right? Lot was in one of those um, gap years, you know, where he didn't really want to go to college and he wasn't quite, you know, didn't know exactly what he wanted to do. And so, so Lot was like, well, you know, hey, I'm going to go with Abraham. I'm going to see the world. I'm going to backpack around. I wish I'd have done that, by the way. I wish I'd have backpacked around Europe. Wouldn't that have been fun? You know, anyway, I didn't. Uh, nobody, nobody told me to do that. Anyway, so Lot, he goes with Abraham. Uh, takes off, you know, he's just kind of tagging along. Well, he gets blessed. Like, like the residual blessing of Abraham kind of flows over on, on Lot, and, and, and he's got a few sheep when they leave, and man, pretty soon he's got a large herd, and God blesses Abraham with his large herd, and both these guys, they, they get too big to be together. Like, like their herdsmen start fighting over the grass and the water, and, and, and so Abraham and Lot go up onto a mountain, and they're like, hey, this is not good. We should not be at odds with one another. We're brothers, right? Now, what would normally happen in that situation? Well, the guy who's the alpha, right? The guy who, who God's blessing upon, the guy who is the elder, the guy who brought the other one along, he would say, all right, I'm going to take my you know, sheep over here in this good pasture and see that cactus and those rocks over there? You go there. You stand there, right? I mean, that's what normally would happen. But you know what Abraham does? Abraham has this incredible moment of meekness. And he says, Lot, you pick. He says, whatever way you go, I'll go the other way and we'll get some distance between us and we'll salvage this relationship. That's incredible meekness. So you know what Lot does? Lot looks over and he sees the, he sees the uh, watered valley of Sodom and Gomorrah with the twin cities. And he's like, yep, that's my place right there. And then as he leaves, God appears to Abraham. Do you remember what God says? God tells Abraham, by the way, Abraham, I'm giving you it all. Look to the east, look to the west, look to the north, look to the south. As far as you can see, I'm giving you it all. That's meekness, okay? Meekness is Abraham's like, hey, God, I'm, I'm putting myself under your authority and your control here, and I'm trusting you to act in the way that you see is best. Next guy, Moses, okay? This, this one's a, maybe the most famous meek passage in the Bible because it actually talks about Moses being the meekest guy that's ever lived. Okay, so let me set the setting here for you. Moses is the leader of Israel. Remember, God chose him, brought him to Egypt through 10 incredible plagues. The, the Israelites are brought out from Egypt, right? And they're brought on the way to the promised land. Moses is the undisputed leader of Israel, right? But then there's Miriam and Aaron who are his brother and sister, and they're kind of helping Moses, all right? But toward the end of that, Miriam and Aaron dislike Moses' choice of a wife. Can you imagine that that would happen, that somebody would marry somebody and the rest of the family would not like them and it would cause turmoil and strife? That has never happened since Moses, Miriam, and Aaron. No, actually, it happens all the time, doesn't it? Like, somebody marries somebody and the rest of the family's like, we don't like them, you know? You're not bringing them to Christmas, are you? You know, or I can't believe they said that. If they say that, you know? I mean, you got this, this strife over who Moses is married. He married an African lady, by the way. Married a Cushite lady, married an African lady and Moses and Aaron do not like it and, and, and they take that opportunity to say and by the way Moses we think you got way too much power we think you got way too much leadership you know what you're not the only one that God speaks to got a little board meeting here and they're like all right we're having a board meeting and we're voting you out Moses we're voting you out and we're voting us in 
Let me read what happens. I got to read it. It's such a great story. It's real short. Numbers 12.1. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Now I'm going to skip that little phrase, okay? For dramatic effect, all right? So don't look at it, all right? We're going to go to the next, next verse, okay? Uh, verse uh, 3. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. All right? Now I'll go back to that little phrase I skipped. So, so Moses was meek. What does that mean? He did not take this into his own hands, did he? You, 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 know, you know what a lot of us would have said if we were Moses? We'd have been like, oh, yeah, you guys are real fit to lead. You're real good decision makers. Hey, Aaron, remember the golden calf incident, you know? Hey, how about that? Oh, yeah, you're real great. I left you in charge for 20 minutes, and I come back, and all of Israel is worshiping a golden calf who you made. I'd have pulled that up. Wouldn't you, huh? Moses doesn't. He doesn't bring that up. You know why? He knows something. Go, go back to our, our cool verse here, right? So they're attacking him, and look what happens. And the Lord heard it. Oh, that's good, isn't it? And the Lord heard it. Well, guess. look at this next. This next verse. I, I have heard this happen over and over and over again in my family. It's been Emma, the one who calls, though. All right, so verse 4. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. All right? Just like his kid. Come out here to the tent of meeting. They come out. And you know what happens? God strikes Miriam with leprosy. Now, what that means is Miriam's going to die. And not only is she going to die, but she's going to die an unclean death. She can't even stay with the Israelites anymore. She's got to go outside the camp because she is unclean. All right? Now, as you read through that text, if we continue to read the story, what happens is Moses does speak. But when he speaks, he does not speak against his, brothers and, his brother and sister. You know what he does? He prays for Miriam's healing. He intercedes with God to heal Miriam. And indeed, she is healed. That's a beautiful picture of meekness. What, what, why is Moses able to endure this attack by people that, by the close, really the closest people to him? If you know anybody, anything about people attacking you, the further they are away from you, the less it hurts. The closer they are to you, the more it hurts. All right? How, how is Moses able to not retaliate, to not be tore up, to not being this frenzy and this panic and this, this burning on the inside. How's he able to do that? Because he's meek, meaning he's put himself under the care of God. And he, he's trusting that God's going to hear this and God's going to take care of it. In fact, he's trying to back God off of it. God, please, don't, don't do this to my sister, healer. One more example. David. Now, there's a ton of great examples of David, particularly with Saul. But, but I want to give you one that I, I think is maybe, I, I like the way this one ends. So this, this is why I picked this one, okay? Uh, I, what, what he says here at the end particularly is, is, um, is pertinent to meekness, all right? So, so in 2 Samuel chapter 16, David is probably in the worst time of his life, okay? And, and he's in the worst time of his life because his own son has turned against him. Now, again, just, just imagine that, you know? When, it, when I... When I think about, in fact, I can't even fathom this. I can't even fathom Haddon or, or Colt 
hating me so much that they would try to kill me. You know, I mean, like I, you, you know what I'm saying? Like when you think about your family, I'm like, that's like such a, I mean, that's a horrific thing. That's exactly what happened with David. David's son Absalom grows in, in his hatred for his dad so much that he launches a coup against his own dad to try to kill his dad and take over the throne. And so 2 Samuel 16 is David's actually fleeing Jerusalem with his, his own personal army, kind of his close guys. He's fleeing Jerusalem away from his own son. So you got to know the guy is just devastated in his heart. He's just brokenhearted that his family's been ripped apart and he's had to flee from Jerusalem and his army's been dishonored. And as he's fleeing Jerusalem, he goes through this town and there's this Benjamite guy who hates him and he starts cursing him from a hill above. And then he starts picking up rocks and throwing them at David. One of David's guys, Abishai, and if you've read anything about Abishai, this dude is a warrior, all right? Like, we're talking Navy SEAL, Army Ranger meets, you know, Mar- I mean, it, it, this guy is, he, he's a warrior. And Abishai says, give me the word and I will go take that dude's head off. He will not throw rocks very well when his head is 10 feet from his body. And David says... No. Listen to his reasoning. Listen to his reasoning. This is in verse um, 11. Uh, 2 Samuel 16, 11. And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjamite leave him alone? Let him curse. The Lord has told him to do. It may be, this is, this is my favorite part, it may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me. You see what he's saying? Maybe that the Lord will see this. The Lord will look upon this, what's being done to me. And the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing today. You see, David, David knew enough about God to know, man, God is able to repay far more than Abishai shutting this guy's mouth. You see, so many times, here's our problem. We settle for the little bitty minuscule what we think is going to be happiness. Someone wrongs us, someone attacks us, someone hurts us, and, and, and we go after it ourselves to try to get this, this little bitty, hair-thin satisfaction out of taking our vengeance. David's like, no, 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 I don't want that. He knows Abishai trot right up on that hill, take that dude's head off, he'll never curse again. But is that, does that really... Is that really a great benefit to David? Does that really bring David into flourishing? Does that really bring David happiness? Does that really bring David joy? No, David's like, no, no, don't touch him. We're putting ourselves under God's care here. And we're, I'm trusting God's going to see this. And God's going to act. You see, go, go back to Psalm 37. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. He will act. It's exactly what David did. Like, God, you see what's happening here? I'm rolling this to you. I trust you. You're going to act. And what you will do is so much better than what I would do. All right, go back to Psalm 37 real quick. I want to jump in on a couple more of these. Verse 7, I think, is, is really interesting. Be still before the Lord. This is Psalm 37, Psalm 37, 7. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. 
Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Verse 8, refrain from anger. Forsake wrath that tends only to evil. Verse 9, for the evil doers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall, there it is again, inherit the land. Okay, now, now back up where we started. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. That, that's a great picture of meekness, okay? So, so let, let's, let's get a biblical example, okay? So, so the Bible is saying the meek person is still before the Lord. They wait patiently for the Lord. All right, so here's a great example. Ex- Exodus 14, the children of Israel come out of, the, of, of, of Egypt, headed to the promised land, and they, they hit the Red Sea, right? And then they turn around, and they realize that Pharaoh has changed his mind, and he's led his entire army. is coming after him. They're trapped. Okay, now... Again, what does the meek person do? Meek person rolls this thing to the Lord, commit, commit it to the Lord, trust in him, he will act. I'm under God's care, I'm gonna trust God, right? That's not what happens. These guys fall apart, okay? Look, look, look what happens. I'm, I'm gonna read uh, Exodus 14, 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. And behold, the Egyptians were marching after him, and they, they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because we're in graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said when we were in Egypt? Leave us alone that we might serve the Egyptians. It would have been better if we were to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. They fell apart. You ever fall apart? Like, like pressure closes in and you just fall apart, you know. Ah, oh, this is horrible. Why did we ever do this? We should never come here. This was a terrible mistake. Now it's all done for. I mean, just, just fall apart, man. Here's what Moses says. Verse 13. Moses said to the people, fear not. Stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you'll never see again. And then verse 14. This is a gem. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Remember what Psalm 37? Be still. Be still. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be silent. Man, that's a great picture of meekness. So, the meek are not meek because they are cowards. They're not meek because they're weaklings. I, uh, I was when I told the guys, some of my guys that I was meeting with, that I was preaching on meekness. The joke started. You know, there's lots of jokes about meekness. Did you know that? Uh, one of the most famous ones you've probably heard it before. I've read it in several things. Bobby Knight, uh, the basketball coach for what was it, Indiana? He said uh, he said the meek inherit the earth, but they don't get any rebounds. Right? So, yeah. Guy this morning, I, I texted to him. I was preaching on meekness, and he said, uh, "Oh yeah." He said, uh, "He said here's my translation." The meek, uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with you guys, you know? I mean, just kind of all, what, what, are we, what are we saying? What, in other words, we think of meek people as kind of cowardly, weakling, you know, stand in the corner, they don't get any rebounds. It's like, no, 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 after you, no, I don't, I don't want to get in there, you know? That's not the picture you see in the Bible. Is that David? Is that Moses? Is that Abraham? Is that Jesus? No. Meekness is our posture toward God. All right, hear that out. That's very important. Meekness is our posture toward God. It, 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 is, it is seeing the bigness of God. It is having this incredible confidence in God, this incredible trust that God is not the small factor here. God is the big factor here. And I, and I can trust him. And I can put myself under his care. And, and meekness, honestly, guys, 
It changes everything about your life. Look, look, can, I want to show you that real quickly. Let me see what our time is. Uh, yeah, we're still good. We go to 1 o'clock in this service, right? No, don't leave if you're a visitor. We don't really. I'll be real quick. Um, let me show you. Okay, so, so meekness changes everything about your life. First of all, the Bible tells us that meekness is demanded for you to have wisdom. So in order for you to make good choices in life, you, you, you've got to learn meekness. And the reason I would say that is, is, is simply this. We always think we're right. True? I mean, by nature, we, we think we're right. We think we got it figured out. We seldom do, okay? I mean, I think we, you learn that a little bit the older you get, right? Or maybe you don't. Maybe it gets worse. I don't know. But, but you have to have meekness in order to, again, put yourself under God's care. You don't have wisdom if, if you don't learn to put yourself under God's care, under God's authority, and under God's word. And let me show you that two places in James, all right? So in James chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Okay, so in other words, wisdom demands that you have meekness. And then it says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Let me do a little marriage uh, counseling here, okay? This is super important in marriage. Did you notice that? It says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't think you're wise, okay? So in other words, if you're in a conflict with your spouse and you are all right up on the inside and fuming on the inside and angry on the inside and you want your way and you demand your way and you deserve your way listen no matter how much you think you are right the bible says you are not right you're not people people go right to the divorce court hanging on i'm right and if you just look at your heart you would see you're not Okay, now let's, let's look at real wisdom, okay? This is not the wisdom, okay, verse 15, uh, 16. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder, yep, and every vile practice, yep. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first, and by the way, do we have this up on the screen? Yeah, pick out the beatitudes from this definition of wisdom. This is cool, ready? But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, there's our meekness right there, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Did, did you pick out the, leave that up there, Kenny. Did you pick out the, uh, the Beatitudes from there? Are you ready? So let's, let's start with the line. But the wisdom from above is first pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Then peaceable. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be God's sons of God. Uh, gentle. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Open to reason, full of mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall. You see that? Isn't that cool? That's, that's wisdom. That's wisdom. Okay. In James also, if you go back a page, this makes perfect sense because in order to receive the authority of the Bible in your life, you, you have to be meek, all right? So James 1.21 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness, with meekness. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. In other words, the, the reason a lot of people don't receive the word of God is because they're not meek. They have not put themselves under God's care. And so they're, they're constantly asserting their own opinion and their own truth and their own ideas instead of saying, okay, God, you're right. I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to put myself under your authority and I'm going to trust you to take care of me. That is meekness. Okay, so meek people, meek people, they're, they're, not, they're not burning up on the inside. They're not freaking out. They're not in this frenzy of of 
anxiety. You know, when you think about why we panic and are frenzied and freak out and stress, it's because we think we're going to lose out. True? We think somebody's going to take something from us, right? Or they already have. Or they're going to cheat us or they're going to rob us or, man, you're, you're going to do this to me and I can't ever be happy. You, you know what the meek person has? They've got this conviction that, nah, and I, I'm under God's care. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. They get it all. Does that mean the new heavens and new earth that's coming soon? Yep, sure, sure. Romans 8 tells us we're going to inherit all that Jesus inherits. First uh, Peter 1 says our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, uh, reserved in heaven for us. So absolutely, Jesus is going to come. He's going to judge the world. All those who are connected to him, all those who are joined to him, all those who are meek in in a spiritual way, who are trusting God, they're going going to get the new heavens and the new earth. But here's the case I would make to you. I think the meek get the earth right now. I think they get it right now. Let let, let me explain that to you. In Mark 10, this is just an example, okay? So in Mark 10, Jesus Jesus tells the disciples this. He says, um, I tell you, there's not one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now, now, in this time. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands. With persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Age to come, eternal life. So what I see Jesus saying there is that, that the, reward, the reward he gives is both now and future, okay? And, and you're like, okay, how can that be? You, you take our brothers and sisters in India who gave up their house, they had to move from that village. They, by the way, you heard, you heard what happened there, right? The judge had a stroke. A new judge got appointed uh, who was much more favorable to Christianity. Uh, every charge was dropped except for one, um, which I think he kind of had to do to appease the community. Uh, fine was paid. They're all out and free. Okay, but they can't live in their village anymore. Can't live in their village. So, so does that mean that Jesus is somehow going to, okay, you had a house here, you lost it, now you get a better house. I don't know. I mean, he might do that. I don't think it necessarily means that. What I think is that Jesus has a way of giving you life, right? What is house, brother, sister, mother, children? What does that represent? Life, okay? And what I'm telling you is there's a lot of people who have all those things, but they're not meek. And the reality is they have none of those things. Is it possible to have status and money and family and all of that and yet not enjoy any of it? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I, 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 would, I, I did this for myself. I want you to do it for yourself, okay? I'm, I'm 45 years old. I'll be 46 here coming up. I, I wonder, I wish I had a little calculator that would tell me how much of my life I've lost. Okay? You, what I mean by that is, like, I didn't enjoy. I wasn't flourishing. I, I wasn't happy. I wasn't experiencing life like I ought to be. How much of that have I lost because I wasn't meek? You know, how, how, how much of your life have you lost because you were stewing over stuff that you couldn't change anyway? Huh? huh? How many nights sleep have you lost? You lost it. Man, it's gone. Like you didn't get it. You tossed and turned and were miserable all night, fuming and anxiety and worrying. You lost it. Now, if you'd have been meek, you'd have got it. How, how much of your life have you lost in broken relationships? You know, how much of your marriage have you not enjoyed? By the way, when, you, when, when you're at odds with your spouse and there's this anger and 
bitterness against one another. Marriage is not very happy when that happens. You're losing your life. But the meek, blessed are the meek. They inherit the earth. They get it all. Next week, we'll probably come back and look at a really cool verse in Psalm 37 that we missed. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. I really believe that those two are tied together. I, I think blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth, and blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I think those are tied together. I think the meek person that puts themselves under God's care and, and, and no longer is just in this bent out, out of shapeness about all these other things. I think, I think that meek person is really let loose to enjoy God, to delight themselves in God, to hunger and thirst for his righteousness, to have an appetite for God, which is what we're going to look at next week. But for now, our musicians are going to come, and I, I want you just to consider, are, are you fretting on the inside? Are, are you bound up? Are, are, are you trying to handle these things yourself in your life? Are you living a life where, man, someone crosses you and you get even? Let me just tell you, you're, you're losing it. You're losing your inheritance. It's, it's slipping away. Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's trust God to act. Father, I pray that you'd help us to trust you. God, it's hard. It's hard to, to trust you in when people attack us, when we've been wronged, when we feel there's an injustice. But God, I pray that you just give us a strong conviction that you can be trusted and that you'll take care of all these things in your time and in your way and it'll, it'll be better than what we could have done ourselves. God, I pray that you'd help us to work out meekness in, in the sticky parts of life and in, in parts of life where we, we, we have to arbitrate a relationship or we have to, we have to, we're called to go to court or we're called to to be in a situation that we really don't want to be in. God, I pray that you would teach us to be meek in those settings, those really hard settings. Father, help us to work that out. Help us to trust you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.